Welcome to Backstage at Upstage, a presentation of Upstage Lung Cancer, which uses the performing arts to raise awareness and funding for lung cancer research. Here's your host, the founder and president of Upstage Lung Cancer, Hilde Grossman. Hi, I'm Hilde Grossman, and we're so excited to have you with us today backstage at Upstage. And here's my good pal, Jordan Rich. Hilde, you've done it again. Another inspiring and educational topic with a brilliant lady. Her name is Susan Smedley, and she's pioneering the resilience movement with a brand new website called WeAreResilientSouls.com. Hilde, Susan's story, and I know you're going to ask her about it, is certainly worth sharing. Susan knows all too well about the impact of a cancer diagnosis and how it can be devastating and isolating. With Resilient Souls, the focus is on other areas of one's life impacted by a diagnosis, breaking that isolation, supporting the healing. Let's turn things over to you now, Hilde. Can't wait to hear from Susan. Such a treat to have a dear person who I have worked with uh, for uh, several years now on uh, some of our events for upstage lung cancer, Ms. Susan Smedley. Um, she's just um, such a rock star. She's uh, just always helpful and just a pleasure to work with. So having you today, Susan, as our guest is is an added pleasure to to a different way of connecting. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You and I had talked about your interest in focusing on well-being and people thriving and um, and and finding ways to do that, especially with cancer and lung cancer in particular, uh, but all cancers for women. Um, can you tell our audience a little bit about your own history with lung cancer? Sure. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 32 um, and a brand new mom. And I had been having um, some breathing issues off and on for a couple of years and um, had had chest x-rays and, you know, was told that it was probably asthma, given an inhaler and sent on my way, which seems prudent, you know, at the time. At, at that point, I was in my late 20s. Um, I didn't think much of it. Um, and... Um, I was going through a period of time where my body was kind of breaking down from stress. Um, I was a social worker in my early 20s and worked in the rape crisis world. So, you know, I had been um, had no boundaries. And I, I think those five years or so really um, depleted my body. And that becomes important as we're talking about about healing, you know? Um, so I had started seeing um, an acupuncturist, an herbalist um, in my late 20s um, to help with just shoring up my, um, my immune system and my adrenals. And um, as my breathing would kind of get harder and I'd have wheezing, um, you know, and the, and the inhaler wasn't working, you know, she would do, you know, she would needle some points um, and it would help. Um, fast forward when I was pregnant, um, I was 31 and it was towards the end of my pregnancy and I had one episode of coughing up blood. 
and um, just kind of out of nowhere. And, you know, I didn't, I let my doctor know. And she's like, you know, maybe you just cough too hard. You know, you're almost towards the end. If you feel comfortable, let's wait and do an x-ray, you know, after you deliver. Um, So we did, and it came back clear. So I literally didn't think anything of it. You know, I was busy raising a new baby and I had, um, you know, a business. Um, I was a pet groomer at the time. Oh, and, I love this. I didn't know that yeah, part. Yeah, I left social work and I was like, what would bring me joy? What do I want to do? You know, and I went to pet grooming school and opened my own pet grooming shop, um, Club Smed Pet Grooming. Yeah. And so I, you know, was doing that part time um, while raising my daughter and my then husband. You know, we would trade off. And um, that summer we were living on a farm and um, I was thinking that I just had allergies. Maybe maybe I did have asthma because I was really experiencing more breathing issues. So um, was doing some more work with my acupuncturist and herbalist. And um, that November, it wasn't getting any better. And so she did some cupping um, on me. And um, I credit cupping with saving my life, actually, because what ended up happening, unbeknownst to us at the time, was that it caused the tumor that I didn't know about to bleed. And would you, for our audience, not everyone knows what cupping is. Sure. So my layperson's understanding, I mean, basically they're glass cups that use um, suction, if you will, um, to draw um, blood to the surface. And um, it helps a lot of times athletes use it for sore muscles, things like that. So it's it's a tool um, to help muscles heal it ended up bringing, causing my tumor to bleed. Um, It still took um, several visits to emergency rooms. It was over Thanksgiving weekend, so my regular doctor wasn't available. Um, I was coughing up copious amounts of blood. You know, my daughter's 11 months old and otherwise healthy vegetarian, like, you know, young woman, and no one was thinking lung cancer, of course, you know, and that's a common refrain. Um, And it took until, you know, I went and saw my regular doctor, and she was like, oh, let's get you in for a test tomorrow. And sure enough, we did a uh, a bronchoscope. And um, that's when they found the cancer. And it explained why all of my x-rays had been coming back clear um, because the tumor was behind um, the bronchial tube. So a 2D um, image wasn't going to see it as soon as they put the camera down and then a subsequent CAT scan, of course, they found it. It's so challenging because when there isn't evidence from an x-ray, it's easy for a physician to say there's nothing there, sure. um, but um, what what a journey um, to finally find out what was going on. Yeah, quite honestly, had um, had we not done cupping, um, it it would not have been found for many many years. Um, of course, until as you know, later stage and who knows? I mean, I, I definitely um, credit cupping with saving my life. And um, I have to admit, you know, there was that part of me that was thinking it must be fine because we've done x-rays. So, but 
despite coughing up copious amounts of blood, you know, so there, there's a piece of that minimizing, I think that happens when you don't think you're at risk of something um, and you just assume it's, it's okay. And that certainly happens with physicians as well, um, where, you know, you have a picture of health person in front of you and you're not thinking lung cancer. Um, but here, here it was. Right. So what was your treatment for the lung cancer? Mm -hmm. So I basically was told that I couldn't leave the hospital um, because it was bleeding so much that they had to do surgery right away. And that literally, Hildy, sent me into physical shock, that news, Um, because all I could think of was that I was going to die. And um, my baby was going to grow up without me and she wouldn't remember me. I, I literally, they had to sedate me. I couldn't even sit still to be in the CAT scan at that point. You know, my family all flew in, my mother and my sisters. Um, my sister was, you know, they're both nurses, so they were there to help advocate. Um, so two days later is when um, I had a thoracotomy, which is, um, you know, where they um, cut, it's like a a scar that looks kind of like a crescent moon. And, um, you know, they took out two thirds of my right lung and I was in the hospital for, um, almost two weeks. And this was back. Um, luckily my hospital was just, I mean, this was in, um, gosh, 90, 1990. So my hospital in Madison, Wisconsin, luckily was, um, using um, epidurals for pain control, they were just sort of starting to use that. So um, once that kicked in, then, um, you know, I was more comfortable. You know, they didn't see at that point that chemo, because the chemos back then were really um, very brutal. And so they didn't recommend it. Um, They really felt like they had gotten everything, nothing else lit up. The tumor was starting to sprout little fingers, but hadn't metastasized. So that was great news. And, you know, would go in for scans and, you know, bring my daughter in her stroller, you know, and all of that. And once I hit the 10 year mark, you know, we no longer did scans. They were like, we don't know what to do with you. Just (laughs) come back. um, If you have, you know, a cough that won't go away, that sort of thing. So that was all 25 years ago, you know, and um, I am incredibly grateful and lucky to be here to have found it through sort of extraordinary means early on. If I can just jump in, I'm so impressed with your story. And isn't it great when they say, we don't know what to do with you. Go home. I love that. (laughs) It sounds like from an early age, you were very much into the holistic approach to taking care of yourself. And you mentioned you get run down. We all do. But it seems like this was the path you were meant to be on, not just for yourself, but for others. I know you're going to share with Hildy much more about that, but were you always into alternatives or should we say additional ways of healing and coping? Uh, Yeah, that's a great question, Jordan. I mean, I I was open. Let's put it that way. I was raised in a very traditional family. Obviously, my mother was was a nurse um, and all I knew was allopathic medicine. Um, There wasn't even really a Um, an openness within my family to explore other means of healing. So it really wasn't until I wasn't, I wasn't getting um, any real answers um, after I was um, 
really kind of broken down um, after the social work job. Um, you know, I was at college um, in a college town. I wasn't in college anymore, but you know, I really was starting to listen a little bit to that internal voice of um, to also look outside of Western medicine. You know, Western medicine can be really, really helpful for a lot of things, but not everything. I also had stumbled upon, I was a voracious reader, and I stumbled upon um, Louise Hay and um, her books at the time and she was really the only person that i had encountered and again this was back in the late 80s um when my my initial healing journey was started um but she was talking about the connection between not just thoughts but also sort of emotional states and experiences and how that the body translates that into ease or dis-ease and so it just resonated with me. And I was like, uh, this is so foreign to me, but tell me more kind of a thing. And um, when I was, I will say that when I was diagnosed with lung cancer, it, while shocking, through the lens of what I had learned at that point, um, it did not completely surprise me mm. based on what Louise Hay and sort of her her method of um, addressing dis-ease in the body, um, it, made, it made sense to me. You know, we're kind of sisters of experience because my lung cancer also was found by accident. And so much of what upstage lung cancer focuses on, you know, survival should not be by accident. And that's why we focus so much on early detection. Um, and we're trying to find novel and... Um, easily accessible and inexpensive ways to find lung cancer early, which would have made a huge difference for you, at least in terms of, you know, finding it early. It's fortunate that it didn't spread by the time they uh, found it for you. But um, yeah, just thinking about one's body and how your mind and your attitude and your your kind of um, perspective on health and, and illness um, can impact the whole course of a, a person's life, even if they're quote unquote healthy lives. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 perspective we have, the labels we use for what goes on with us has um, a big impact on the outcome of your life, of the sense of well-being. So um I, yes. I know we'll talk about this off and on, but I would love to hear about this wonderful website that you've now created and um, what prompted you to take that energy, because it takes a lot of energy to do this. And, and um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about your goal and what, what it took to get this started. Sure. Um, you know, I've been working for um, a national lung cancer organization um, for the last 15 years, I've worked for two different ones, and I'm currently working at GoTo Foundation for Lung Cancer. And um, since I have um, 
sort of deepened my own learning around um, healing and wellness and learned more tools, including yoga, including meditation, including mindful um, breathing and breath work. You know, I have really seen the value of um, those tools for the cancer community as well. And I've really wanted to bridge that gap. And so at GoTo, you know, we've added, um, you know, a gathering hope, um, gathering, if you will, um, where once a month, you know, we, we get together. And when I can join in, I'll lead some sort of a mindful guided meditation and some oncology yoga movement. Um, and I really wanted to sort of expand on that. And, um, you know, finding uh, funding for a program like that within a large organization um, just wasn't happening. And instead of um, me becoming frustrated, um, you know, whenever there's like a, a stop or a door, you know, and it's a consistent door, it's like, okay, what's going on here? And I just decided I'm going to do it on my own and um, because I know it's so valuable and so many folks within um, the lung cancer community and the cancer community as a whole, I mean, can benefit from these tools. And I really, <laughs> yes, did you want to say no, something? No, I was just struck me as you were talking about we gals. <laughs> it's we gals represent the when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, and and that's what I'm hearing in what in what you were bringing forward. I didn't want to interrupt your train of thought, but I just thought, yeah, doors close, walls come up, people say no, people say mm -hmm. things can't be done. This is the way it is. All of that stuff. You can either just take it and feel defeated, and right. and there's no shame in that. Or you can say, well, what can I do? And I've, that's what I'm hearing. You, you had a moment of, well, what can I do? What can I bring? Yes, that, without a doubt. And, and it's become really a, a part of my practice, if you will, when it comes to life. And as you've said, there's a lot of things that we can influence um, after a trauma like a cancer diagnosis. Um, and my goal is to influence what I can. And so this is another example of doing that. And I have worked with business coaches um, to help me figure out how to launch an online platform. And I work with, um, you know, an awesome web designer um, who has taken my vision and, and made it visual. So really the goal is to provide as many free resources that don't require a visit to someone else. Um, and there's a lot that we can do um, within our own being to influence um, our well-being. And healing from a cancer diagnosis is different than curing the cancer. Two very different things. And so I don't get into people's care plans or that is between them and their care team. What I'm about is helping women um, influence their healing and even think about 
all the other areas of their life that have been impacted by a cancer diagnosis. And that's one of the things that I have not seen in my own personal experience, as well as in working within the national um, cancer world and community, um, I haven't seen much um, discussion of. And in talking with, with people individually, there is so much that gets impacted when you are diagnosed and life before you are not that person. Just like any other trauma that happens, um, cancer is a trauma and there is a physical response within the body um, that happens when we go through traumas. And a lot of times a cancer diagnosis actually comes after other traumas have occurred. In, in your life, you know, and um, for me, I wanted to start that conversation about trauma and about different tools that can help release the trauma from the body. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. As thousands of audience members know, Upstage Lung Cancer events, the concerts are fun, meaningful, inspiring and memorable. And you should know that we invest in cutting-edge diagnostic research to find lung cancer early and greatly improve on the five-year survival rate. We also bring voice to the fact that young people get lung cancer. They really do. Unfortunately, doctors don't know how or why. Proceeds from our concerts support research to help find answers to these questions. Hilde Grossman and her team aim to entertain and inform because the show must go on. Find out how you can help at upstagelungcancer.org. As the official announcer boy for Hildy backstage at Upstage, let me mention the name of the website. Let's make sure we do it. www.weareresilientsouls.com. So it's one simple sentence to spell out, weareresilientsouls.com. And I'll be quiet from here on in, but I did want you to please comment. Oh, don't do that. Please oh, don't. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm just a, a hired hack. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's something on the website. There's a lot on the website, which is relatively new, called When Was the Last Time You... Dot, dot, dot. Do you want to just mention what that does, those questions, and how key they are? Sure. You know, it, it starts a process of self-inquiry. And for women um, who I know, who I've verbally asked those questions to, the response has been um, that someone actually gets me, or these are, these are questions that I've asked myself, but I feel like there's no place in my life to get these answers, and am I the only one thinking them? And so those, these questions are, you know, when was the last time you only focused on you as an individual, not as a cancer patient, not as a parent or someone's partner? When was the last time you slowed down to pause and connect with your inner wisdom? When was the last time you connected with other women who've also received a cancer diagnosis and want to focus on healing their minds, emotions, and relationships? When was the last time you considered your cancer diagnosis a catalyst for change, growth, and healing? And when was the last time you focused on how to support your body's innate healing wisdom? Each one of these questions are, are so um, significant 
and could take a moment of pause uh, just to um, just to think about our lives. I I'm always aware, both in my own life and everyone around me, how how the pace of life is just tickety 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 tickety. We're all so busy. We're all doing so many things. Um, and um, I, often it just feels like we're doing too many things. We often schedule our children to do too many things and we're just going, going, going with, again, I'm full of these cliches today, but really without stopping to smell the roses. I mm -hmm. just came back from a vacation that was very much in spirit of what you're talking about. I felt, I was telling people, there used to be an old um, musical theater piece called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Mm, yeah. And I love the title. And that's exactly what I wanted for a vacation. Like stop the world, all the responsibilities, all the things I usually do. And just as I think that was the second thing, just focus on myself, my own thoughts, my own perspectives, um, evaluating my life. So I think that you have raised these questions on your website and if people take a moment, not even to read as a list, but kind of look at one at a time and think about how we are living our lives. And, and no matter what your level of health is, you can be healthy as can be and not living a kind of life that, that sort of um, generates a sense of well-being. Definitely. Um, and you can be ill and struggling with very difficult things and find ways to look for joy in life. That was one of the podcasts we did early on, which was yes. looking for joy. How do you find joy in a day? It doesn't have to be 24 hours of joy, but in each day trying to find some level of joy. So I love that you've created this list of there should be like a pause <laughs> in between each question. It's like pause, next one, pause, because they're, they're yes. just so significant. Agreed. And, um, you know, my vision for uh, Resilient Souls is to create a community um, where we are asking these questions. And once a month, um, I'll be offering a free spark circle where we um, look at different themes that run throughout the experience of a cancer diagnosis, regardless of what stage, regardless of what kind of cancer, um, because there are common themes that we all have um, that have impacted our lives and we're going to focus on what's similar not what's different and a community that wants to talk about sort of pulling that um, center of influence back from the medical establishment to ourselves and our own lives where we're the center of our healing, that we're not living scan to scan and what the doctor says. It's important for your medical treatment, absolutely, but you're alive 24 hours a day. And there are a lot of things that you can be doing to influence the quality of your days, regardless and, of how many you have them. You know, well, how many we exactly. And also just to 
just to even consider the idea, you know, um, that there can be some quality of life. And that's why I was saying it doesn't have to be 24 hours a day, but, um, you know, having a conversation. And I think that was one of the things you have women speaking with other women, but, you know, being able to have a moment of feeling an emotional connection with someone sharing something it could be like hey I just heard this really cool tune (laughs) on YouTube Um, I just thought to myself I'm preparing for a concert in November 2022 uh, November 15th uh, in Boston area um, where our our topic is called laughter is the best medicine and part of that came just from the idea that one day I was just thinking about on a general sense, we're dealing with so many difficult issues yes. um, from foreign, very far away issues to closer to home issues from political strife to threats of war to a pandemic that some people think is over, but it isn't over. Um, and then if you take all of that weight and all of that stress, whatever's going on personally in your life, um, it's we are all just carrying an enormous amount of stress. So I think your emphasis on, you know, paying attention to your stress level and mm-hmm. what are ways you can um, manage that stress is really important. Definitely, whether you have had um, a cancer diagnosis or not, or someone in your life has, you know, um, I some of the most grounded and grateful people I have met are are folks who've been impacted by cancer because there's something about that experience that um, jolts you out of this sort of coma of everyday life where you suddenly, at least for me, um, got crystal clear about um, what was important and what was not. And I remember thinking um, the night before surgery, if I don't make it out of this eight hour surgery, what do I wish I would have done differently? And I had been living up until that point, I had been surviving more than I had been living. And was I recognized that there was an element of fear around um, kind of showing up more in the world. And um, I really vowed to live differently. And I have, and I think that that that's a pretty common experience for people when facing a life-changing, potentially life-threatening or ending experience, is you get very clear about um, what's important and what is not. I love, I just love that phrase, and maybe that's what we'll call this podcast, because I always come up with a title, but live I just switched the word word order but living more than surviving Mm -hmm. it's it's not just getting by it's it's really finding a way to live yes for however much time you have and really attending to your experience of being present in your life what does that look like You know, what does it look like with your experience with yourself? How safe do you feel in your body? I mean, that's one of the themes that we'll talk about in the spark circle, because this body can feel like a war zone. It can feel like 
there you have something that's trying to kill you and for a lot of a lot of people they're nowhere near their body because they're I, I spoke with a woman last week who said it feels like there is the Grand Canyon between my head and the rest of my body and it feels like a place I don't want to be in because there's so much trauma happening in it with treatments, with radiation, with side effects that I live from here up. And, you know, that is certainly understandable, yet there's a level of um, not of non-presence to not only fear, but also joy, right? So, and she was really feeling like she wanted to be more present in her life, but she almost felt like she was watching it from the outside. Well, it's a, I, that's such an interesting um, conversation you had. And, and it's not just being on the outside, but sometimes that the focus is pretty much exclusively on the negative. And that's not just the negative internally, it's the negative externally. So um, I'm not saying people who are diagnosed with lung cancer are tap dancing down the street. That's foolish. That's just foolish. But at the same time, it's, it's back to finding something um, during a day. I'm just going to say even in a day that mm -hmm. brings the sense that being alive um, has value. Um, and um, and then trying to do things that with your life and with others, you know, that helps helps bring that about, even though it could be very difficult. So sometimes a lung cancer diagnosis, you and I were lucky. Um, you know, mine was found early. I didn't even have a symptom. So mm -hmm. it was well before anything. And yours you had these scary symptoms, but fortunately it had not metastasized. So there's, as you say, there are all sorts of levels that people are dealing with cancer and each level has its own um, kind of shock and jolt. It's just, it's, yeah. you know, we all think we're going to live forever. And I think that's kind of how we're wired. Otherwise we probably couldn't, you know, get out of bed in the morning, but right. um but um, but these these jolts happen, and um, then our lives become very complicated. So, yeah, just yes. trying to find a way to, again, I think it's back to live and not just exist or survive. Yes, and it doesn't happen on its own, and time alone does not deliver it. You know, mm -hmm. it. Um, I've spoken with with women who were diagnosed a decade ago and um, still are experiencing anxiety and fear and anger um, and all the things that come with a cancer diagnosis and, and trauma. I mean, again, I sort of view this experience through the lens of trauma and that that trauma does need to be healed. Um, in order for us to move into what's next. And that can be what, what's next um, in your life um, if you end up being NED, but a lot of people aren't and never well, will be. Explain to our audience what NED means. Sure, no evidence <laughs> of 
disease. So a lot of people will never hear those words. They will be living with cancer in their body the rest of their life. And, you know, survivorship programs um, don't usually include folks who have cancer as sort of a chronic disease state. And so there is a need for community and conversations about how do you move forward knowing that you will always be living with cancer. You will always be living with that threat of recurrence. How do you continue to move throughout your days? Let's just talk about that, you know, and and not in a way, I don't have those answers. That is not my experience. But within the community of cancer, um, the cancer community, lots of women and men are living with that very thing. And I would love to have that conversation and people to learn from each other and to hear someone else say something that resonates with them. You were talking about no evidence of disease. I I like the whole phrase because it doesn't say there's no disease. It says no evidence of disease. So, and I think part of this, the goal of uh, research is to extend and uh, enhance life living with lung cancer and cancer other cancers. That yes. that one that it does turn into, um, you know, a, a disease that's you know that's that's just with us in the way that diabetes may or arthritis or uh, many other diseases. Um, but for those people where there is no evidence of disease, it's still for many. So for again, this is really a personality type. There are some people who thrive on denial and just say, okay, I'm done. Answer, you know, it's like out of my hands, I'm done. This is good yes. and move on. And that's wonderful. And there are people who feel like, well, that news sounds good to me. There's no evidence, but I don't know, as you use the word, I don't know if it will recur. So trying to manage that with your physician and making decisions, my own decision is to continue having an annual CT scan. Um, from my perspective, and it's just about me, I'm not advising anyone else, it feels the balance of, the low dose CT scan, which gets to be lower and lower a dose annually, while it jacks up a lot of anxiety to go get the that, it also gives me some level of comfort to feel like things are, you know, um, things are going well. Yeah. So there's just so much uncertainty. And I think that's the underscore. Um, there's so much uncertainty in everybody's life, no matter what's going on for all of us with having a, a diagnosis of, of cancer or lung cancer for the person who has lung cancer and also for the family who was caring for someone with cancer. The, some of the issues are the same, but they're not, and this I don't mean this in a negative way, but they're not in the spotlight. The light is not shining on them, the caretaker. So all of what you're trying to do, it seems to me is to build resilience to look for whatever level of resilience a person has and to try to enhance that and build that. And part of doing that is by sharing strategies and, and sharing a life with other people. And, and that yes. to me, that's just, it's heroic, it's wonderful, it's important. And 
I can't thank you enough for being a part of this podcast today and hoping that people who are listening um, can um, use this information, look at your website and think about how they can live a more comfortable life. Um, So Susan, you're the best. Thank you so much. And just a quick reminder, it's www.weareresiliencesouls.com, a terrific site. And Susan, we thank you once again. Thank you. To find out how you can join Upstage Lung Cancer in raising awareness and funding to beat lung cancer, visit our website, upstagelungcancer.org. We invite you to subscribe and download our podcast available on all platforms. And we love reviews and ratings. After all, we're showbiz people. There's more entertainment and inspiration to come on the next podcast episode of Backstage at Upstage.